Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Still here in the DriveHeBlue.com studio, I'm James Boyd alongside Jimmy Cook and Eddie Garrison. Had a lot of chatter about Jonathan Taylor, Michael Pittman Jr., Anthony Richardson, contracts, holding, holdouts. One guy who I'm sure who's been watching from afar, Nick Bumgarner of The Athletic. Nick, what was your reaction to everything? Before I get into that, how are you doing? (laughs) Good, James. How are you? How are you guys doing? I'm doing great. You know, I don't want to be rude, but I do want to ask from just a outsider's perspective, maybe, what was your reaction to the luxurious motor coach bus the yacht bus. Yacht bus, thank you. Yeah, the uh, no contract extension, the if I die tonight quote, and then ultimately the trade request that went public last weekend. Yeah, well, my first reaction when um, Thursday tweeted, I was like, what is he doing? And then it made more sense as time has gone on, and obviously everyone's reported, including you guys, like that, uh, you know, this has probably been a thing that they weren't, that they didn't really want to extend him or whatever. Maybe he knew about, I don't know. But originally I was like, why is he doing this? Like, why is he tweeting? And then you're like, oh, they just don't want to pay him and he's just handling it in like the worst manner possible. And also, like I've read, you know, I read Zach's deeper story the other day and a lot of the stuff, James, that you guys have all written, but like, seems like Jonathan's not all the way maybe innocent in some of this either. It's not a good look for anybody at all, but it also kind of like, it bummed me out, really, because I think I loved the Colts draft. I thought they did a terrific job this offseason in the draft specifically. And I kind of thought, okay, well, maybe they're at least, you know, headed toward something better. And they still could be, but, like, this is another one of those that felt more like last year when you watched them from the outside, which was not, not great. So along those lines, one thing that's kind of been lost, I think, in the discussion of JT beyond just his contract, is he really hurt? Is he not? Is it a holding? Is it a holdout? Whatever the case may be right. is – how much he would mean to the development of Anthony Richardson. And so what do you think having him in the backfield could do for a rookie quarterback who obviously has immense upside but also is extremely raw? Yeah, it means a ton. I mean, to have a guy like that, especially the way he plays, you know, and the way that they want to play, and I think that they will play, they'll be a between-the-tackle run game as much as they're going to try to spread the ball out too with him eventually. But to have a reliable back who is going to get what's blocked plus extra pretty much every time he touches it if you can get the offensive line right which I still like some of the pieces they have up there uh, including young Bernard Raymond I think he could be something uh, if they give him more time but I, I I like a lot of their young players but you need like your your point you need somebody to sort of like help you come along because you know I mean we can go through the numbers on play action and, and yeah your run game statistically it doesn't quite change how much it affects the defense but at the same time when you have a guy like that in there the idea uh, is always in the back of the mind uh, of the other side so yeah not having him is a huge problem and then of course when Moss gets hurt you know that's that makes it even worse so it went from a really good looking situation to okay well that's not as good I guess it's going to be more road bumps and maybe some that you could have avoided. Nick, I know that there is mileage on Jonathan Taylor's legs from how he was worked in Wisconsin and I yeah. know that he had a uh, injury riddled and you know just different complications in 2022 but when healthy he has shown that he's the best back in football and he's only 24 years old all that considered you would think that even as bad as the running back market is the ideal situation for a running back of his caliber that wants to get paid 
would be having a quarterback on a rookie contract where you can afford to splurge. That's a long way of me asking you if the fact that even with all those circumstances of the contract situation with Anthony Richardson, that Jonathan Taylor can't get a payday, this has to be rock bottom for the running back compensation conversation, does it not? Yeah, because especially in this situation too, where he's the best, play, he's your best player, and like he's your bet. Why did you build your team around him if you're not? You know, why are you playing like this? Why did you play football the way that you did? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like why? Yeah. Why did you play football the way that you did? <laughs> this is quite a quite a why, sentence. Why was that your brand? And why did you build around this type of run game and all this? And like, if you're just not going to pay this guy, like that's it's the same conversation that I end up having about Saquon, where it's like. You made him your team, though. Like, I get it. Like, people don't, you know, the shelf life and everything else, it is what it is. But you made him your team. Like, you you built and made decisions uh, that with him in mind. And now you're not going to extend him because you think you'll look dumb or something? Like, I mean, is that why? I, I don't know. That, to <laughs> me, is really not great. And I, a lot of times, because there's so much about what Chris Ballard has done over the years with player acquisitions and draft. I mean, he's been awesome in so many ways, but he has to work with Jim Irsay. And I, you know, there's days that I feel bad for Chris Ballard because this is not, they don't make it easy. I'll say that because it could and should be a lot easier than what's going on right now. Yeah. I don't envy having his job at all. I don't envy anyone involved with the Colts right now, because obviously everything is about JT. I mean, they had a video, Nick, that they put out because it was Kids Camp Day, I believe this past Monday, oh, yeah. and they asked all the kids who their favorite player was. And of course, in this minute-long video, none of it included Jonathan Taylor. It's Zach like, Moss. Oh, okay. I mean, I was there. We had a kid say DeForest Buckner in this video, yeah. and I'm like, you. I know there were tons of kids that might have said JT. I've been there every day yeah, at camp. <laughs> exactly. So I was like, the optics from everyone, it's been bad. I was thinking to myself, why would no one say, maybe we don't put this video out Today, because right. it just didn't look good from a team perspective. You're on social media, but uh, Sam Ellinger holdouts. No, no, oh didn't happen. Okay. I, All right. and I digress. But <laughs> from a purely football standpoint, um, yeah. we've got a good look at Anthony Richardson so far throughout camp. Is it more of what I would expect? It's kind of been a carryover from what we saw in college, where I mm-hmm. joke with guys, he'll have the best throw, Nick, and then he'll have you know an up and yeah, down day. But what do you think has been, you know? just some of the things you saw at Florida where you're like, okay, he has to make sure that he gets better here. And maybe what's the first thing he has to do to like sort of build that process out? Well, I think that he's, he's there and he's not, like you said, there, there are days that it looks good. And the fact that those are there to me, if you look back to where he was at the beginning of last season, you were not going to find a, that would not have happened. If you just said, okay, Anthony, you're a draft pick last year. It, he was, it, every day would have been a disaster. So, he has grown, I think, in the last year exponentially to a point where he can now go in there, run an NFL offense, reasonably take starters reps, and there are days where it looks pretty good. There are days where you can see it. And then there are days where, yeah, he'll take steps back and it won't look incredible or whatever, but um, it's there. And I think that the game, you could see it last season at Florida. The game slowed down for him as the year went on. They were not a great team. Uh, they did not have a lot around him. Um and their offense was kind of wonky, and I don't think that it did him any any favors to keep it that way. I think that they could have probably expanded and grown out more. I think he was more ready for that, and it didn't really show up on the tape if you were just sort of skimming it. But if you really watched through it, he grew a lot. And I think that it's been encouraging to see some of the good stuff that I've seen come out because, you know, you never know with a rookie. Sometimes they come in there and it's like, oh, my God, he can't complete a pass. You know, it's a this is a disaster. So 
it's been encouraging to at least see he's getting through some days, and I'm very curious to see how he does in a preseason game or in a setting like that. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Nick, the other Colts player that is, is playing it cool because he can afford to is Michael Pittman Jr. is also on a contract Ooh. year. From your perspective, we discussed this when the show started, he's able to be calm, cool, and collected for a number of different reasons, but in part because of the position that he plays, even if the Colts couldn't become up to par with a contract negotiation for him, even if they didn't tag him, he would command money instantly on the open market. Yeah, I think he would. But I also think that, you know, if you're uh, the, the receiver market is super interesting. And it's it's low-key, in my opinion, turning into the running back market. And I think that they're it's not all the way. Because some guys, and maybe Pittman's one of them, can go out there and get the big whopper deal. But I don't think that number is as high as it used to be. And when you look at the Colts roster, they drafted Alec Pierce, who I think a lot of people like. I think he could be a pretty good football player when the time comes. I love Josh Downs. I think, obviously, you wouldn't want to lose a guy like Michael Pittman. But if you're looking at the rest of everything that you have to pay in time, uh, you know, I mean, is he really worth it? Do you want to max out at receiver? Like, that, to me, those contracts are becoming more and more difficult almost every year because everybody wants the top of the market. Like, every guy that wants, that goes to test the market wants the top of the market. Like, there's no, there's no one who settles for anything less. <laughs> and there's always, like, an impasse, and it's like – we've seen these deals just not work out. And it's like, it'd be better if you didn't spend that money and just invested it somewhere else on your roster and sort of rebuilt your receiver room, you know, maybe around your quarterback instead of the other way around. So it's interesting. And I don't know what you would do if you're the Colts in that spot. A lot of it would depend on this year. So yeah, he played it cool now, like you said, but like, you know, we'll see, you know, we'll see in a few months if he's still playing it cool, I guess. Is that a luxury the Colts can afford to play right now with still uncertainty surrounding if yeah. Anthony Richardson's going to be the guy. The reason I ask that is because the formula you're discussing, I get it, it's a unique situation because they have the best right. quarterback in the game, but the Chiefs just showed that forward thinking last year of we're going to move on from Tyreek Hill instead of pay him and we're going to rebuild organically either through free agency for less right. money or bring in young talent in the draft. I think that's what, if you look across the board at what all the younger or I should say all the teams that are rebuilding or retooling or remodeling or whatever do, uh, none of them pay receivers. They just don't do it. I mean, I, unless that they're going to stay remodeling all the time because like they <laughs> are trying to, if they have one that's up for a contract, they'll try to trade them and they'll just try to get younger because like the receivers that are coming out of college today, and we're going to start seeing it with quarterbacks, the confidence level with receivers today when they come in as freshmen is 10 times higher than what it was 10 years ago. Even five years ago, the specialization of the position has changed that. These guys come out of college ready to go. And I think that has changed a lot of people's thinking in the receiver market. We haven't seen it as big of an impact as it's had in the running back situation, but I think it's tricky for a guy like Pittman. And, you know, he's a good player, but, like, that's the question that you're going to have to ask if you're Indy every time. So here's one I want to ask when it comes to JT and his market value. And we talk about – him being arguably the best running back in football and the last year that he was fully healthy I think that was an easy decision I believe he was voted like number five with the NFL top 100 rankings right. by his peers and stuff like that however best player and most valuable when it comes to the position might be exactly. in the eye of the beholder because you've watched probably a lot more tape than me on a lot of these guys 
why is it that maybe a guy like a Christian McCaffrey, like a Alvin Kamara, will be more valuable considering, I mean, I know on the surface that they're like three down backs, but like for people who might not know right. what exactly that means, what does that mean and why is it that even with JT, he's not, I guess, as complete as those guys? Right. He's not He's not the receiver in the way that we see backs come out now as, as it used to be. Could you just catch the ball out of the backfield? You know, could you just run a little banana route and catch the ball and not drop it? That was like pretty much all they asked backs to do up until like maybe even five, ten years ago. But now, like you saw this year, especially with B. John Robinson, Jameer Gibbs, uh, and there's a lot of them in college right now, those guys run routes like receivers. Mm-hmm. McCaffrey is the great example. And Saquon, the reason I think he can do it too that no one's ever really asked him to. But the reason why he's not getting, I don't think, as much, you know, he's having a similar problem as, as JT, is that we just haven't seen him be that, like, whoa piece where it's like, McCaffrey, you split him out in the slot and let him run against the corner, and he's going to win. Sometimes. Not every time, but he'll win more than he loses. And some of these backs that we see now, like the Lions here in Detroit, they, I think they're going to use Gibbs as much as an actual receiver as they do in the backfield. Like, the, the Debo thing, you know, they're not all built like Debo, but, like, the ability to be – Versatile enough to take a handoff and navigate the box, but also go out there and run a route. That is a thing that younger athletes are showing. And I think that I saw that, I think it was Travis Etienne said this. Somebody asked him, what would your advice be to younger backs? He said, <laughs> diversify. Diversify your portfolio. Learn how to catch. Learn how to do everything. Because, you know, like you said, Jonathan Taylor is the best gap runner in the league. He's the best downhill, you know, between the tackles. You know, if you want to wear somebody out, there's nobody better. Josh Jacobs might be the only guy that would have that argument. But the reason why those two guys are in the spot they're in is because we also see other guys. You know, I guess Derrick Henry's probably going to get mad if he hears that. But we also see other guys that can do way more. And and that's really the, the, the rub here for a lot of these guys that are in the league now. And I wonder how much that will change, though, going forward, you know, with some of these young kids coming up. Yeah, I'll let Jimmy jump in here. But to your point. Evan Hull and Deion Jackson, the running backs who are up now getting the first yeah. string reps since Zach Moss broke his arm, they were saying that that's what they've done. I mean, 100%. Deion Jackson was saying he didn't really switch over to running back till I want to say he said his senior year of high school. He was wide receiver before then. And obviously, the height kind of became a factor, but he was like, yeah, I've been running routes basically all my life. Evan Hull, he was like, yeah, I knew coming out of high school I couldn't catch the ball and that was like a big point of emphasis in mm-hmm. my college development at Northwestern and the first thing Chris Ballard said after he was drafted was he caught 90 balls in Northwestern and so like that's a factor that I think is something yeah. that it's not going to go in reverse anymore now it's becoming can you be a serviceable running back who can kind of masquerade as a wide receiver and like you said win consistency on the outside so um I'm curious to see mm-hmm. how the evolution goes at running back. But I will say this, Nick. I have been very, very uh, harsh about this in the media room. I'll say it on air. People out there are saying, oh, my kid will never play running back. Don't worry. Your kid is not going to the NFL anyways. It's yeah, fine. That's right. <laughs> like, that's this is about a small, about small, it. small percentage <laughs> of, of people. So when I hear that, I'm just yeah. like, do you all realize how hard it is to make it to yeah, the NFL? Like, yeah. So, oh, goodness. Don't, don't get me started. Yeah. Nick, what happens to veteran running backs at the top of the market, in theory, whatever the market is now, that are yeah. out there waiting for an opportunity? Dalvin Cook, Ezekiel Elliott, Kareem Hunt, Leonard Fournette, are, are they just waiting for a training camp injury? Is the gap so big that like maybe they think they're worth more than the market says they are? What, what happens with those guys? I think that some of those guys are, are either waiting for a training camp injury and or just waiting for camp to end. Like they're pro- A lot of those guys, frankly... They're not going to put anything on their yeah. body 
if they don't have to. So, like, yeah, a lot of those guys are probably just waiting for, you know, hey, call me when you get down to, like, the last week of camp and you got to make the 53 and then I'll come in and then we'll talk. You know, but I'm not doing it until that. And that's the smart. And I think that that's what running backs, you know, hopefully this conversation, if nothing else, has alerted a lot of these backs who maybe weren't paying attention. I don't know how you wouldn't be, but if you weren't or your agent isn't on top of it, like, you need to get right away. You need to be, you know, assertive with, with your position on the team and making sure that, everything is, is where it needs to be. Otherwise, yeah, I mean, you're not going to waste reps on yourself if you don't need to. Like, that's not – protect yourself, take care of yourself. And I think that that's uh, probably something you're seeing more with those veterans. And I think that's – maybe that'll be a benefit in the end, even if you're not getting the pay. But, you know, you take the miles off your body and you can just maybe call a spade a spade with some of that. So I would be remiss if I didn't ask about Marvin Harrison Jr. Because hmm. here in Indianapolis, they're convinced that, you know, there's some pathway to get him <laughs> after the coming season. It would have to be a bad one, I would say that. But seeing him on tape, bad one. <laughs> yes, oh, it would have to be awful because the guy's amazing. But yeah. seeing him on tape, studying him, seeing his development over the years, what makes him so special to the point where he's arguably the best player overall in a draft that also right. includes, will include Caleb Williams? Right. He, he would have been, I think, uh, receiver number one last year too, uh, and and the and the reason for that is that when we talk about receivers and you like you talk about there's no real ideal size I suppose anymore. There's like I suppose there is you know you, the bigger they are the better and the longer the longer the better all that. But like there's not anything when you look at Marvin Harrison's full profile, the agility burst speed you know off the ball like his ball tracking how fast he gets his head turned understanding of what's happening hand reliability like there's nothing that he does wrong like there's he has no holes there's no holes in his game at all they don't exist when you look at guys in the last few years right like uh garrett wilson or devonta smith or some of the guys that came out that were great even uh jefferson you know uh there were things there were metrics you know with them athletically that were a little bit flawed or maybe their height wasn't quite what it needs to be or maybe their tier wasn't exactly what you'd want it to be, but they were still just amazing and everything else. You know, Devonta's so skinny, right? There was always a little bit of something. Like, there is nothing like that with Marvin Harrison. It's, everything is exactly what it needs to be, and it looks he looked like an NFL football player the day he walked in the door at Ohio State. Like, that's just not a thing that happens uh, that we see. We see confident receivers, but not guys that have polish, and that's, that's who he's been for two years and I guess it's hard to remember that he's only a sophomore or only a only played two years I guess at this point yeah it's pretty incredible I mean the guy burst on the scene last year and was terrorizing the college football yep. world and obviously tantalizing the Colts fans here in Indianapolis so <laughs> um, Nick I'll let you go but appreciate you coming on man and discussing all things Colts hopefully you know there won't be any more funny tweets for me to read from yeah. <laughs> the owner or the agent or anyone involved because if there is I'll be working extra, so uh, <laughs> you, you, you better clear your schedule. <laughs> All right, man, Nick, you have a good one. Thanks, Nick. All right, guys, take care. That was uh, Nick Bumgardner. He covers the athletic. Or, I'm sorry, he, he covers the NFL for the athletic. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at kisqali.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Still here in the DriveHubler.com studio. I'm James Boyd alongside Jimmy Cook, Eddie Garrison. We're sharing memes about the realignment of the college football world. You discussed Jonathan Taylor and his contract, his hold-in, hold-out, ankles, backs, all the all of that jazz. Now we will pivot to the NBA, the Pacers, with none other than Brian Windhorst of ESPN. 
Wendy, how you doing? How's it going? Good afternoon. Thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. I know we had uh, talked about this for a while now. And I'll start with, what was your reaction to the Ursay bus? the motor coach that you saw all over Twitter. And I wanted to, you know, do your own meme back at you about what was going on here in Indianapolis. <laughs> I, I want to know about this uh, private bus. Like, they train in Indy, right? They're not training, like, two hours away or anything, right? No, it's about 30 minutes away yeah. in Westfield, neighboring city. But, yeah, it's basically the Indy area. They're not, like, super far Still away Still central Indiana. Exactly. Yeah. I'm fascinated by this private bus. I, I want to know more. I think, I think Jerry Jones has one, too. Is it just because Jerry has one? Ursay has one? Like, I'm just, I'm, when I was reading about that, I don't know, maybe he's had it for 10 years, but I didn't hear about it until the private meeting with the running back. And so I was like, what's going on the private bus? I want to know about the private bus. I, I'm fascinated about the private bus. <laughs> well, look, I will try to get you, like, a 10,000-word, you know, inside Jim Irsay's bus because everything is inside now. Inside this negotiation, inside this trade. So I'll try to get inside Jim Irsay's bus. I need you to take a tour of the bus. <laughs> Just call the Colts, figure out how you can make that happen and get us a story. I mean, Brian, it's been crazy here in Indianapolis. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad to talk about the Pacers, the team that is not you know going through a ton of, uh, I guess, nonsense right now. But when it comes to their focal point, Tyrese Halliburton, he's out in Vegas right now, I believe, preparing for Team USA. So I'll start there. Brian, what was it like to see him make that jump after having the Pacers, you know, believe in him, trade for him, and obviously reward him with a massive contract? He's always been a player that has had great potential. I never understood even on draft night. It was a mystery about why he slid to the, well, I think it was the 10th pick or 11th pick, whatever it was. Um, He's obviously somebody who has terrific upside. Um, I don't think he's a guy who can be maybe maybe you, this can be used against me later on. I don't necessarily think he's the best player on a championship team, um, but I do think he is a guy who can be an all-star for a long time, and the Pacers obviously felt that way. Uh, they gave him a $200 million contract basically 15 minutes after they were allowed to do it. And there's nobody who doesn't think that's a good idea. High character, uh, all kinds of natural leadership abilities, and also very talented. This was going to be a great opportunity for him. Um, I know that this, the, that the World Cup isn't viewed as a big deal by a lot of American fans. In fact, it was in Indianapolis once about 20 years ago, and I don't think the fans of any even cared about it then. Um, it, it's not comparable to the Olympics, but it's a great opportunity for a player like Tyrese to grow. He will get a big role there. He's going to get big minutes. And I can tell you, going back into history, if you look at guys who have big summers with Team USA, it very often translates to big summers with their team. And he is in a big role. And um, the games are on ESPN. They'll be on the World Cup in about three weeks. They're on in the mornings, early in the mornings, like uh, 8 or, or 7 or 8 o'clock. I know it's going to be Hard to focus on that when it's college football season, but um, if you get a chance, check it out what he does there because, um, you know, Steve Kerr uh, and Grant Hill handpicked him to, to, to be this, and he's going to be running the team to a certain extent. He's at the first training camp yesterday. He was leading one of the, the, uh, the teams as the point guard. So um, it's a great summer opportunity for him and a chance to build some momentum coming into what could be a real – swing season for the Pacers. They could take a big step forward here in this upcoming year. 
And I know you mentioned the World Cup isn't obviously on the same stage as the Olympics, but when you look at this roster and some of the talent that's on it, some of the guys that are on it, I believe the headliner obviously is Anthony Edwards. Does it feel like this is sort of that new regime, that new era of what we could see become, you know, the pillars of the league? Yeah, so the last time around they had this event, it was in 2019. It was in China, and that team was similar to this team. It had a bunch of young guys who were on the rise. So Jason Tatum was on that team. Tatum is now, you know, an MVP, a perennial MVP candidate. Jalen Brown was on that team. Donovan Mitchell was on that team. We're talking about guys who are now on the All-NBA team now. And, and you know, it's not the A-team. You know, we do not have Steph Curry and LeBron uh, going over there right now. But um, it's definitely for, for the ascendant. Um, and so the guys who are, uh, who are at the centerpiece of this team, I suspect in two or three years will be the guys who are first, second, third team All-NBA, just like we saw from a couple of years ago. So you're talking about Anthony Edwards. You're talking about... Uh, Tyrese, you're talking about Jaron Jackson, um, uh, um, Mikhail Bridges, um, you know, is definitely an opportunity for these guys to step up. And look, they now they didn't used to do this. They used to play the World Cup in the in-between, the even year in-between the Olympics. If the Olympics were in 2012, then the World Cup would be in 2014. And you got more of the top players playing now. They put them in back-to-back years, so this summer is the World Cup. Next summer, the Olympics. The top players don't play. They don't play across the world. You know, uh, Jokic is sitting out for Serbia. Uh, Giannis is probably not going to play for Greece and stuff like that. But it's still a great opportunity for these young players. And I can just tell you that um, uh, I will almost guarantee you that some of these guys who are on this roster, you will see as some of the league's best players. Um, you know, in the short-term future. ESPN's Brian Windhorst with us here on the Fan Midday Show. Brian, when you look at the state of the league, we know it's clearly far and away more player-friendly in terms of contract negotiations and everything than what goes on (laughs) day-to-day for James over at Colts Camp. But when you look at what is there in the last couple of CBAs to help teams retain talent, the Super Max, the designated rookie extension that Tyrese Halliburton just signed, are we in a better place now with those things? Have they had a positive impact for teams trying to retain players, or is it still, at the end of the day, players are going to do what players are going to do? Not really. I mean, I think what happened is after LeBron James walked a couple of times, after Kevin Durant walked, after Kawhi Leonard walked, um, the teams really wanted to try to get players into contracts. So they changed the rules over the last you know five to eight years that really encourages the players to sign uh, extensions, and we've seen that. And so now you just have guys on extensions forcing trades, whether that's Kevin Durant. Now we have Dane Lillard trying it. Um, James Harden uh, forced to trade twice on the same extension, the same <laughs> extension that was supposed to keep him in Houston. He got traded twice on it, and now he's looking for a third trade. Um, and so, I mean, if the players can do it, they're going to do it. Um, I don't really blame them. I guess what it's protected um, you know, it happened to to the, the, the Pacers. You know, Paul George wanted a trade. Yeah. Um, and uh, he was a guy who signed what at the time was the Supermax. Now, now the Pacers gave him a player option in that deal, which they did it to save a little bit of money, and that's water under the bridge, and I think it hurt them. But eventually I think Paul George would have wanted out. And uh, so, yeah, I think what it does is it protects the teams from losing the players for nothing, which is what happened to the Cavs when LeBron walked. 
and the Raptors and the Thunder when their star players walked. Now you can get like these hauls that um, the Utah Jazz got for Donovan Mitchell or the or the, or the Nets got for or Kevin Durant. We can go on about that. Um, but it's not really limited star player movement. Ultimately, if, uh, you know, having a star player is only half the battle. You have to have the star player and you have to build a team around him that he wants to be at because at any time uh, the league has not gotten to the point where they've enforced – uh, the contracts and the players have the agency and, and they just take it. To your point, Brian, when you talk about, you know, adding pieces and obviously the Pacers aren't in a position where they've added a superstar. I think that, like you said, Tyrese Halliburton is a really, really good player. That upper echelon of best player on the championship team is very, you know, slim. I mean, we're still asking that question about Jason Tatum. Can he be that guy and get him over the hump? But when you look at what the Pacers have done this offseason to – I think, potentially be a playoff team next year. What do you think of the additions of, you know, Jairus Walker in the draft, first and foremost, and then adding a guy like Bruce Brown, maybe overpaying for him, but getting someone who has that winning pedigree and knows what it takes to win at the highest level? No, they did overpay for him. But if you're going to operate in free agency in Indiana, you're going to overpay. I mean, that's just the way way it goes. I mean, um, he's not the same type of player just to be clear, but, you know, I always thought the last Pacers team that was really competitive, you know, they got David West in free agency. I mean, that team, the core of that team was built through the draft, which was um, obviously Paul George and, um, you know, George Hill came in the draft and uh, Roy Hibbert came in the draft. And then they used the free agent sort of move to supplement the team. This team has been largely built – through the draft and through trade, uh, the Halliburton was a trade. Um, you know, Ben Matherin, who uh, obviously is an exciting player, uh, had more exciting in the first half of last year than the second half. So that's a challenge for him this year to recapture that and grow from that. But, you know, Matherin through the draft. Walker looked very good in summer league. There's a lot of people excited about him. Um, absolutely one of the, in my view, one of the steel trades of the summer in terms of value was the Pacers just stealing Obi Toppin from the Knicks. That's <laughs> That's still, I mean, Obi Toppin might not be a, a standout player, but they got him for two second-round picks, a player of that kind of athleticism who I think was undervalued in New York because of the way they played. Um, that's a nice addition. They've added some real talent to this roster. I mean, Walker, I think, is going to be a contributor right away. Uh, obviously, Bruce Brown is a guy who can do a lot of different things and play kind of different roles, kind of the way David West did. I think the challenge in the Eastern Conference is, it's really jammed up. It's you know, it's really it's really tight. You know, and we have some teams that we don't know what they're going to be. We don't know what the Miami Heat are going to be. Yeah, the Miami Heat were in the finals last year, but they lost two starters in uh, Max Struess and Gabe Vincent. Two starters off that team as they've been waiting for Dame Lillard. Will they make the Dame Lillard trade? I don't know. Is Philadelphia going to trade James Harden or what's going to happen there? I don't know. Um, you know, I, so there's some there's some question marks. Is is Toronto? going to trade Pascal Siakam and OG Ananobi, or are they going to hold on to him? You know, I don't know. So the Pacers are operating in sort of this gray area. I could present you a case where they could finish anywhere from 6th to 12th, and some of it is to do with how well their moves work out, and some of it is to do with what happens to other teams. So um, I do think this. I think if I was a Pacers fan, I'd be very much looking forward to this season. I think they are ascendant. They have an excellent coach. They have shown that they can develop and improve players, and they have some guys who are improving. And so they're on the right path. I think they're obviously 
some transactions away. And I do think that at some point they are primed to make a move. And I don't know if the move is to be able to bring in a player of superstar caliber, but I do think their roster is armed with the kind of assets that you need to make a move. So I think that's something definitely to watch down the line. But I think they're headed in the right direction after, you know, definitely taking a bit of a rebuild, something the organization hasn't done in a long time. Brian, there's a lot of reports with the Damian Lillard, Miami Heat, Portland Trailblazers situation, and some of the more recent ones have been that Miami is the only team that's made a significant offer or maybe an only offer that's been made to Portland at this point. Is that what you've heard on that front? And either way, do you ultimately think that a deal gets done sending Dame to Miami? Well, it's very dangerous in uh, in media. To, the word offer can be manipulated right. a lot. You know, uh, if, you know, I came to your door and said, boy, I'll, I'm looking for a house and uh, I'll bet a uh, million dollars would go a long way. Did I make an offer on your house? No. You know, uh, I mean, you could say with a straight face, I didn't make an offer, right? But I, I kind of indicated I wanted it. Right. So, no, I can't identify another team that seriously is after Dame Lillard. Let me just say real quick, most trades, there's only one or two teams involved at the very end. Um, you know, obviously there are certain situations and certain players where a bunch of teams, but it's, it's one thing to register interest. Most of the time when teams are deciding on a trade, it's, it's between like one or two options. And so the idea that there would only be one or two teams bidding isn't unusual. That's number one. Um, number two is a year ago when the, when Kevin Durant was dangled on the market for about a month, the Phoenix Suns were kind of mentioned as a possibility, but they weren't viewed as the front runner at all. And they certainly weren't offering what they offered a few months later. And so it's just sort of basic game theory. If you don't like what you're being offered and you don't have any pressure to take the deal, in other words, the trade deadline isn't tonight and you're not having anybody really breathing down your neck, you control the contract. Why take it? the deal is, is very likely not going to get worse. It's only going to get better. And so that's where we're at right now. And I know that the Miami fans are frothing at the mouth. You know, you don't have anything else. Just take what you can get and move on. That's your opinion. You know, so I'm not surprised at all on this. As soon as I saw the way this played out where the, um, where the, the Blazers really didn't improve their roster – and I could kind of see the lay of the land about what Miami had to offer. I was like, well, settle in for a long one because I think it's good. And by the way, this isn't unusual. We've seen trade standoffs like this happen routinely over the last decade. So this isn't even, you know, out of the first quarter yet in terms of the gamesmanship that could be played uh, with the with the, the next round really coming at the start of training camp, which is almost two months away at this point. We talk about contracts. The biggest one, NBA history, Jalen Brown, five years, $304 million. I know everyone kind of loses their minds because it is the highest in NBA history. Do you think that they had to do that, Boston? Brian, do you think they had to invest in Jalen Brown at the super max level when obviously we saw how poorly he played in the Eastern Conference Finals? I think he shot 16% from three. Yes, they had to do it. Um, it's a very nuanced explanation as to why they had to do it. Uh, but long story short, they were in a corner. Um, the biggest reason is because he only had one year left on his contract. 
and um, they weren't able to – they didn't have much negotiating position because his contract right now, he's a little bit underpaid, uh, regardless of the way he played in the conference finals or the finals before that. He's a little bit underpaid, and so that limited their options in terms of how they could negotiate the contract. And if they didn't give him that money, he was very likely going to walk next summer. And so I know that the headline, it's the, most, it's the biggest contract in NBA history, is stunning, but it won't be the biggest for very long. You know, at one time, Mike Conley signed the biggest this. contract <laughs> in NBA history, and it wasn't like it imperiled the Grizzlies or, you know, it wasn't like people view him as getting an unfair contract. Um, the NBA is on the verge of massive salary growth with the new TV deal. Basically, NBA salaries spun their wheels for about two or three seasons because of the COVID, the lack of COVID. Um, uh, the revenue slowed down. The revenue is not slowing down anymore. It's going up. We now have multiple players in the NBA whose contracts are signed for um, over $60 million a year. They're not making $60 million yet. The, the highest salary this year is Steph Curry. I think he's about $52 million. But at the back end of some of the contracts being signed now, we're, you know, Dame Lillard, for example, the last year of his contract, I believe, is $63 million. In the next year or two, you're going to see that number touch $70 million for some of the contracts that are signed. And these guys who just signed their first contract, their first big contracts this summer, like Tyrese Halliburton, uh, like Anthony Edwards, um, it's possible that when they sign their Supermaxes, if they – progress to that level you know they reach that level where they get the biggest contract allowable like Jalen Brown just signed that the salaries could you know be hitting 80 or 90 million dollars per year that's where the money is going the the TV money is only going up and there's only there's still only going to be one or two stars per team and so um, that's where we're headed so what what, what I'm saying is you may look at Jalen Brown and say, oh, my God, $300 million is crazy money. But in a few years, we're going to start seeing routine $300 million contracts, and he's just going to be one of the guys that has it. Yeah, I agree. I think the optics of the left hand not being able to dribble very well during the Eastern Conference Finals, when you Are get you saying for three hundred million, you should expect a player to dribble with his left hand. I mean, hey, I'm I'm not you know a rocket you know scientists sky high or, standards over there. But James. I'm just Jeez. saying, like I watched the final. It was very <laughs> spooky in the Eastern Conference Finals. But another player who was in line to get a lot of money, at least the bonuses, is John Morant. And obviously, he can't. He's going to be ineligible for the All NBA because he's already been suspended for too many games under the new rules and games limits and things like that. But where do you think he goes from here when you talk about a superstar who has to take on more accountability for himself and be a leader if he wants this thing to last monetarily, but just even from a like a purely mentally health standpoint, where do you see him going from here? Yeah, so um I can't I did the math at one point. I, I want to say it's somewhere in the neighborhood that the, the two suspensions have basically are going to cost him somewhere in the neighborhood of uh, $60 million, not because that's what he's getting fined, but because the fines and the suspensions undercut his chance of making all NBA and getting the Supermax. And then, um, then, you know, $25 million, you know, he's losing hundreds of thousands of dollars per game or 25, I'm sorry, 25 games 
Um, he's losing millions and millions for that. Now, for a player like him, who has potentially a very long, uh, rich career in front of him, that may only be a minor setback. A decade from now, he may be earning $100 million a year, and this may be so far in his rearview mirror that it's not even something that's considered anymore. Um, but he's at a crucial point. You know, this summer should be the summer that John Morant is leading Team USA. He, his shoe should be on display as the shoe going forward for Nike. He should be the, the, you know, the upcoming face of Nike. That's what Nike that were was planning. Yeah, they were planning for him to be their new face of their team. You know, more, you know, several brands had made him their ambassador, like the face of their brand. You know, he was because here's why, guys. How many American players under the age of 25 right now are there who are superstars? That's a good question. The last five MVPs are foreign-born players. And the biggest thing in the league right now is the arrival of another foreign-born player. And obviously, while we in the NBA uh, love the fact that the game's become international, uh, you want to see, uh, you know, as far as marketing, you want to see Americans. Americans want to see Americans doing well. So the opportunity for Ja to take that mantle. I mean, really the only comparable player right now under that spot is, is Jason Tatum. Um, Zion was sort of seen as the guy who could be that, but he hasn't been able to do it. Ja was the guy who was able to do it. He was, he, he was backing it up, all of it, and he had the mantle there to take. And it's slipping through his fingers. Now it's not over. He hasn't done anything that can't be solved but he's harmed his situa- himself a lot. And more uh, concerningly, he hasn't taken accountability for it. You know, when he got suspended, the players' union put out a statement saying they were, they were really upset with the suspension, and they said that he had taken accountability. He was, the reason he got suspended for the 25 games was the exact opposite, because he right. hadn't taken accountability. It was a complete misnomer for them to say that. Look, they're defending their guy. I get it. But, you know, that's what you want to see. And there's literally nobody out there who's rooting against him. I mean, and that's one of the other things is that it seems like he might feel like this is something that's been being done to him. Everybody wants to see this guy succeed. Watching him play is electric. I mean, he, 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 the way he moves, it's almost unbelievable to see the way the guy moves on his legs. It's just crazy. I've almost never seen bounce like that. It almost looks like he's wearing illegal shoes the way he's bouncing <laughs> around his he's got an, a, a totally electric personality he's got a very attractive family i mean definitely you know people that you know that you really want to root for he's got so he's got a young team that is ready to ascend to championship contention literally he checks every box and he just keeps stubbing his own toe so nothing's destroyed yet but Obviously, he's in a crucial season. He's got a lot of time here to try to take care of his situation. I wish I could tell you I knew it was going to happen, but I can tell you that the NBA needs Ja. We at ESPN need Ja. Basketball needs Ja. We need him to be great. And that's one of the reasons why this has been so upsetting. 
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Ryan, last thing on my end, Ryan Winhorse VSPN taking some time with us here on the Fan Midday Show. Last thing on my end, as you followed the chronicles of Victor Wembanyama to this point in his career, kind of a two-part question. One, Wemby Dandy. Uh, James had Wemby Dandy t-shirts lined up and he had to, <laughs> yeah. had to sell them all. Uh, I, I blink once in your state side on my television. I blink again and you've you've taken it overnight to Paris and you're there on draft lottery night. Uh, take us through that journey, A, and then B, what is a reasonable bar for him in year one? Well, I just thought it was a really great opportunity to be with the player at the moment where he finds out where he's going to go. Um, there's this guy. I, I'm not a hockey fan. Um, the player, Connor McDavid, who I think is one of the best players at NHL. Um, I happened to be in Toronto during the playoffs years ago when the Raptors were really good, when he was, when they had the lottery and it, it was like for Canada, it was like Victor Wembanyama. He was like, he was a generational prospect for Canada. They were the, the, um, Maple Leafs were in the, um, running for one of the top chances. I happened to be in Toronto to cover a, a Raptors playoff series. And I was watching the city of Toronto go crazy. And I watched the, the lottery and he found out, I think he went to Edmonton. Don't hold it against me if I don't know. I think he was Edmonton that won the lottery. And like 14 seconds later, he was on set, you know, at the, at the CBC in Canada. Well, Connor, you know, you're going to Edmonton. What do you think? And I was like, oh, my God, what amazing television that they were able to get the raw reaction of this player whose whole career was going to be determined in a blink of an eye and seconds later. I always thought it was amazing, even though I didn't know anything about hockey. And so when the opportunity presented itself to go be there with Victor, and I spent a week with him and his family and his agents and his team in January, so I developed some relationships there. The opportunity to go do that, no matter what Victor becomes, I thought was a great opportunity. And it wasn't going to be the greatest interview in history. It was going to be three questions at 2.30 in the morning, and I had – one minute and 11 seconds because we were two, we were going to a Western Conference <laughs> Finals game. You know, it wasn't like I could, um, it, but I just thought it was going to a really cool opportunity. And it wasn't just that. I spent three days there on that trip and did some other stuff that contributed to our other coverage. But um, I just want to temper the expectations with him. I agree that he is potentially a generational prospect. I agree that he has a skill set and a size that we've never actually seen before. So he's the goat. <laughs> and studied him. But he is still 19 years old. 19-year-olds, for the most part, don't impact winning in the NBA. Even LeBron, even though the Cavs got better when he got there, they missed the playoffs his first two years. Luka Doncic, one of the great teenagers ever to come in the league. I don't think the Mavericks made the playoffs until his third season. They, you know, I think they made the conference finals in his fourth season, but you know, you know, and he's going to get embarrassed because when you're seven foot five and you're, you're, you're thin like that, you're going to get embarrassed. Whenever you're trying to be a shot blocker in the NBA, you're going to get embarrassed. Go ask Miles Turner. You think Miles Turner hasn't been on some posters. If you're going to try to block some shots, you're going to get embarrassed. He's got a high center of gravity. Uh, That high center of gravity enables him to do some incredible things. He's easy to get knocked off balance. He's going he's gonna to lose his balance a little bit. So 
if you want to find a reel where he looks or he gets embarrassed, you'll be able to find it probably pretty quickly. But after watching him a lot in Europe, he'll also do some incredible things at the other end of that. So I would just say he's 19. Uh, let's check back when he's 22 or 23. I do believe at that time he's going to be a gigantic force in the league. Um, but I, I really – and I, by the way, I'm not just telling you this. I've told people at my company this <laughs> who are very excited to put him out there and put him on TV. I've just tried to cool their jets. I was like, yes, I went over to France and wrote a lot about him and did stories about him. No, I don't think he's going to win the MVP in, rookie, in his rookie year. So I think you know both things can, can be true. Goat or bust is all I heard from what you just said. <laughs> no, nah, nah, I'm joking. Uh, Wendy, last thing for me is yes or no, will the Pacers be a playoff team this upcoming season, whether they have to go through the play-in, but will they be a top eight team when it's all said and done? I don't know. I wish I could tell you, like, oh, yeah, they're going to win uh, 46 <laughs> games I, because I just – number one, I don't know how they're going to come together. But most importantly, I don't know the way the rest of the East is going to go. I don't know which direction Philly is going to go. I don't know whether Miami is going to end up in a good spot there. I don't know where Atlanta is going to go. Atlanta has changed their roster a little bit. I don't know whether Toronto is going to keep in you know going forward or whether they're going to take a step back. These are all factors. I do think the Pacers are on the right track. I do think that they will win more games than they did last year. I do think that they are a team that is headed that has a that has a bright future and that is going to be worth paying attention to. I don't know if it's going to end up in the playoffs. Um, it would be terrific for them if they got one of those four spots, seven, eight, nine, ten, and got into the playoff, into the play-in. I think that would be a terrific step forward for them, and I think that's something that they can start the season off with a with a, as a legitimate goal. All right, O'Brien, thanks so much for your time. I appreciate you coming on. And also, even when I was covering the Pacers back when I was doing NBA things, reaching out and kind of mentoring me throughout that. So I'll catch up with you here soon, and good luck going forward. Losing you the NFL was a big loss. We're going to get you back in the NBA sooner or later, I promise. All right, we'll see, man. You have a good one. Thanks, Brian. Take care. All right, that was Brian Winhorst of ESPN. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you.